We are AAALC, and we welcome everyone to our conversation. This will be a relaxed and open dialogue to give others a small window into how we feel and think. If you want to reach us, you can reach us at AAALC at Albertsons.com or our diversity webpage or our SharePoint. If you have questions, you can send, us, send them to us there or give us input or even sign up to join our, our, our ARG, AAALC. Or you can even start your own chapter of AAALC. Just contact us and we will help you. Our topic today is breast cancer awareness. Since it is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, we will be discussing this topic with today's guest, Mandy Day from our sister ARG Win. And we also have a hero, an actual breast cancer survivor, Karen Brophy. Welcome to both of you. Mandy, want to introduce yourself? You bet. So I am Mandy Day. As Elmer just said, and I am the chair of the Women's Inspiration and Inclusion Network here in Boise. And uh, we are excited to be able to bring quite a bit of awareness to the table for the month of October, which is breast cancer awareness. And we have a huge, huge agenda ahead of us. We aren't missing a week and we're going to try not to miss a beat uh, when it comes to ensuring that we make sure everybody is aware because that early detection is key still. Nice. Well, speaking of other guests, we have Karen, and we get to have her on our program first. So, Karen, why don't you tell us about yourself and, and then kind of go into, uh, as you are our hero on this podcast, what what you went through, and, and, and we'll, we'll ask some questions based around that. Okay, that'd be great. Well, first of all, thanks very much for asking me. Uh, Sharon reached out to me. Um, my name is Karen Brophy. Um, I've been with the company 19 years, and uh, I was Safeway, Safeway originally, and then I came over to the Albertson side after the merger. My current role is a program manager in strategic sourcing, and it's it's important for me to mention how long I've been with the company because this company, as I've been going through cancer, so I was uh, this last year for me has been the year of cancer. I was um, I was just diagnosed last October. Even though there is a family history, and I'll learn a lot more to that. I, I'd like to talk a little bit about. But as I went through it this year, the the people I work with had been they they have been so supportive. I don't know how I would have gotten through this without my Albertsons family. And people use that term kind of off the cuff, but I, I really mean it. Um, the team the team came in. They they brought us. They brought my husband and I dinner every week for almost eight months during chemo, during surgeries, during reconstruction. And because I was able to be open and tell people what was going on with me. I felt that the love and support and that came from that was just it came back to me, you know, just just in spades. So Sharon, obviously being part of that immediate strategic sourcing family, uh, knew about my journey. And when she, we were doing breast cancer awareness, that's one of the reasons she asked me to come. And again, being very transparent is important to me. It's how the way I, I live my whole life um, as much as I can. And so to be transparent about what I was going through with cancer was important. And and like I said, I just got back so much because I was able to share out so uh, so I was diagnosed last year but um, back in 2017 so when I was 50 we found out that in my family we have the BRCA2 gene mutation and so for some folks who don't know what that is that that's a it's a marker for breast cancer and what happened is my brother got prostate cancer at a very early age he's a year ahead he's a year older than me and his cancer was found very late at stage four um, 
And so they wanted to do some testing on him. And so that's when we found that he, as a man, had the BRCA2 gene, which is normally a, a breast cancer marker, because that was so unusual. My mother also got breast cancer a few years following. And so they, they, they checked both of the gene markers there. She had BRCA2. And then my sister and I, my sister who's five years older, she and I both got genetically tested and we both also had BRCA2. So what this means is that the odds of getting breast cancer were much greater for me and for my sister. And the recommendation by the doctors was to go ahead and either do a preventive double mastectomy or to just make sure I get tested with an MRI and a uh, mammogram every six months alternating. So back so back since 2017, I'm looking at my dates here, make sure I get it right. I've been doing every six months, I've been getting tested one way or the other. So the mammogram didn't catch my breast cancer, but the MRI did. Um, and so that was October, that was late September of last year. And they did a biopsy on a lump that they found, the, you know, the MRI came back with a shadow. And at that point, from when they found the, the bad MRI to the biopsy to starting chemo, it was less than a month. So it happened very quickly for me. So it was, a, and it was supposed to be, it was, they billed it as a very aggressive kind of cancer. And so that's why they moved very fast. Sorry, I had to get a little sip of water there. <laughs> so it was, it was really emotional, even though I didn't, even though I knew I had the marker and I was going in every six months to get tested, when I still got the news that I had cancer, that phone call, I can remember I was sitting right here in my office, just the same position I'm talking to you guys. And just my whole world just changed for a minute. I was just, my heart dropped. I was like, it was just, I couldn't believe it was happening to me. Um, and, but it, it was. And so after that, after that initial reaction, I just sort of got up, stood up and said, okay, what do we do next? I mean, that's, I, I didn't know what else to do other than say, how do we go on? How do we fix it? What happens next? Um, so yeah, so that's kind of how I got there. So um, any questions? So I can get pause. <laughs> uh, wow, there, there's a lot to chew on. Yeah. What phase were you in? I know you mentioned the bracket, and I apologize if I missed it. What phase were you in? I know that they do that. Yeah, no, you did. That's a great question. So it, it was in phase one, right? So it was very early on when they caught it. And that was one of the things I really wanted to talk about, Mandy, that you touched on when you were talking is that early detection. You know, that was so important because I was given sort of a heads up that I had that genetic propensity and I was doing that testing every six months. They caught it at the earliest possible time. So, but because of the type of cancer it was, they still wanted to do a double mastectomy because they didn't think it was just, it wasn't small enough. It was small enough to catch early, but still aggressive enough. And because of the genetic propensity in our family, um, I went ahead and did a double mastectomy. So as a woman losing body parts and especially losing my breasts, it was very, very emotional for me. I didn't, I didn't expect it to be as hard as it was, quite frankly, because you know, I've heard of, um, you know, I've talked to other people just on the side, like I have a, a niece-in-law who had cancer and had a double mastectomy. And, you know, people talk about it in our family, at least very kind of like, you know, matter of fact, oh, she had a double mastectomy. And so for me to go through it, it was, I was surprised at how much emotion was involved with it. Did I see a hand? Yeah, Cheyenne. I was getting ready to ask you about how your treatment was, but I just heard about your double mastectomy. So that kind of answer my question so oh no 
it's still a good question because what I have, so it, they change it. The other thing I found out is how individual every woman's journey is, right? So there's so many different types and kinds and situations. And so for my journey, they wanted to do a double mastectomy and then go ahead. So, so I, I'm sorry, I, I got that backwards. Actually, we went ahead and we did chemo first. And then we wanted to do, they wanted to do the MRI again to make sure the cancer was all gone. And then we went ahead and did the double vasectomy and the reconstruction. So where I am right now is five weeks past my third surgery on reconstruction, on the whole surgeries. There was one, one was the mastectomy, then the two for reconstruction. So, um, Rimar, did you have a question? I do. Um, can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can. Okay, so this question, I think Alyssa came up with this question. Um, so regarding the mastectomy, 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 um, some women are emotionally attached to their breasts as it yes. is it's, it's, it's seen as a form of femininity. Yes. How did you, uh, you said that you were emotional through that time. How did you navigate those emotions and what was that journey of like, because, um, uh, thinking of it as a man on the outside, not really knowing, like you have that procedure and you feel like you're losing a part of yourself, but it's to, to save you. How did you navigate through those emotions, those thoughts, all that stuff? That's that was, you know, honestly, I think that was the surprisingly hardest part of it for me because um, it came after chemo. So chemo itself, I'm going to get to that question for sure, but chemo itself was hard and it was physically hard, right? But it was more of a feeling bad, my body feeling bad. When it came to the surgery and to losing my breasts, it was emotionally a lot harder than I thought because uh, I don't know why I thought it was gonna be, it, I didn't think it was gonna be so hard, but how did I handle it? I cried a lot at first. Um, I remember there was one time in the shower, I went into my shower and I closed the bathroom door and I think I just cried for quite a while and I didn't think my husband could hear me. And I came back out and he says, you know, or he said, are you okay? And, and I said, yeah, I'm okay. And this is, this is, this is really difficult. So I was, to say that, to say that this is hard and that this is changing my self image it was good for me to be able to articulate it. My husband's response was super helpful. He, you know, he told me, he said, I didn't marry your breasts. I married all of you. And, uh, and I loved that about him. Um, and, and I, at one point I wasn't sure if I was going to do reconstruction, um, but I'm glad I did because it has helped me feel more like my old self again, though it's never going to be the same. I mean, to, to replace an entire body part, whatever one it is, you know, it's, um, it's a lot and they're different, you know, it's very different. And so I'm getting used to this new part of me and the new me. And so I guess to say, how did I navigate it? I talked to, I talked to other women who'd gone through it too. I have some friends back in California who are also breast cancer survivors. And that was super helpful to hear that they had some of the same emotions and how they got through it. Um, I talked to my oncologist and they had a lot of support there too, if I wanted it. When I told them I cried for two days, he brought in the social worker and she said, that's okay, honey. If it, if it goes on to two weeks, then you can call me back. <laughs> and, and by then it was, you know, I was getting, I was getting a handle on it. And, uh, and so like, again, it was really good support. Just being, just being honest about how I felt with myself and others and getting a lot of hugs and a lot of love. That's, that's 
my question is kind of connected to that is is your support right so we have different people listening to this podcast in different areas not everybody's going to be affected directly like you with breast cancer so what's the best way as as a survivor or a hero that we can support you like for example you mentioned your husband which i i was really curious on what were the good things that he did to help support you and and other people around you so like we can help support people that we may see uh, that is fighting with that yeah so i think the best thing the people who were around my immediate family so just my husband and i most of my family is back in california is and my friends here they just listened you know it's so important just to be there to listen to somebody going through this because a lot of times people try to solve it or offer solutions or try to make it better and there's nothing there's nothing to be made better right other than just being there and 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 being expressing love and support and and I can say, honestly, just a lot of, for me, it was physical contact because I needed to be reassured that I was still loved and attractive. And, and I got that, you know, and I would, and I articulated that too to my husband when he said, what can I do? I said, more hugs, you know, more kisses, more reminders <laughs> that I am your, I'm a woman and your wife. And, and he responded very well to that. And so I think the best thing the person who has cancer to do is to, to truly figure out what they need what's going to help them and, and let the people who love them around know that because people don't know how, people don't know what to do if we don't tell them and then the other thing for me about my husband is that I needed to remember that he was going through this with me you know sometimes I got into the poor me's and it was all about me and then I had to really pull myself around and look into his eyes and see that he was seeing me suffer. He was seeing me in pain and he couldn't do anything about it and how hard that was for him. And it's that helpless feeling that the people around us have and to, to acknowledge that and, and, you know, and honor that as well as I'm going through what I'm going through, know that they're doing, they're, they're doing their work too. And it's hard for both people, both ends of that. Remark. Uh, yeah, Karen, you set me up brilliantly for my next question, which is going to be how did your husband process all this and how did he, you know, you talked about how he helped you, but it's it's both of you guys went through this journey with breast cancer and you, you just said like he felt so helpless because he couldn't fix it, which most guys want to fix the problem. So how did how did he navigate that and how did you guys navigate that? Well, I know that he talked a lot to his peers at work. You know, he um, he asked me, you know, can I share what's going on with you at work? And, you know, I said yes. And so he was able to go to work and talk to his his work friends about it and what they were going through. And there were people who could relate who had been through something similar. And he was just able to talk to somebody who wasn't me, the worst going through it and say how hard it was and how scared it was and how difficult it was to watch me go through this. So rather than bottle it up just to be able to express his feelings to other people who, who, who either could relate or couldn't, but were at least willing to listen to him. And, and in our situation, you know, my brother is still going through cancer, so he was able to talk to my brother sometimes about it as well and, and get support from, from another man going through cancer and also who, is, who loves me and was able to support. So it was kind of a, a really good family dynamic that we were, they, those men were able to support each other at the same time supporting me. But it's just really, I think it's super important for a husband going through this to be able to have someone to talk to. Karen, I have a question for you, and I think um, it's something that we haven't heard about yet, although we know it's happened a lot over the last 18 months. I'm sure you can guess where I'm going with it, because it's not going to end anytime soon, as we can see, but you went through this 
during one of the hardest times for the, the entire world uh, during COVID. Um, and I know that there have been folks who wanted to support and be there during chemo and transfusions and operations um, and hospitals were on lockdown. And oh, yeah. can you tell us a little bit about the nuances of going through this during a pandemic? Yeah, sure. That's a, that's a really interesting question, Mandy. It was, you know, during chemo, it really wasn't that hard. I did, I did four months of chemo and uh, I went every week, three weeks on, one week off. And I was able to drive myself because they didn't want other people there. And that actually worked out fine, right? And I wore a mask through everything because my immune system was very compromised. And so during the chemo part, actually during the pandemic, it was actually a good time to be going through this, right? Because honestly, nobody wanted to be in contact with each other. I couldn't be in contact with people. All my, you know, my blood, my white blood cells were just shot. And so it was, and the people who wanted to help by bringing dinners to us were great. They dropped it at the doorstep. They didn't expect to interact and I couldn't really interact anyway. I just barely had enough energy to get through the day because I did work through this as well, which for me was the right decision because I needed the distraction. It's certainly that is an individual decision for every single person to make. Uh, there's no, there's no right or wrong on that. Um, but so during that part, it was really okay. It was, it, we worked with the panic, with, with the panic. My husband got vaccinated very early on because he does not work from home and he didn't want to bring something home to me. So it, we did, we did fine with that. When it came to the surgeries, that got a lot harder because I had to get dropped off, you know, in the front of the hospital and go up and go do, and go into surgery by myself. And, and that was, that was, a that was really, it was hard on both of us. He couldn't believe it. He's the first time he said, I'm just supposed to leave you here. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, you are. And, um, and they did plan to keep me overnight for any of the surgeries, which this is, a, it was a, a pretty big deal in my mind, but the first surgery didn't go, um, it went fine, but there were afterwards, there were some complications coming out of anesthesia. So they kept me out, they kept me overnight. And so they did let my husband come up at that point. So that was actually a bit of a blessing. Everything turned out fine and I didn't get to see him. Um, but for the last surgery that I just did, it was truly just doorstep to doorstep. And, and emotionally, it's hard to be in there with nobody to support you, right? But I had my phone and I was texting and, you know, and it's just like anything else, right? We just get through it as I just got through it as I needed to and focus on the positives that I don't have to stay overnight. So I'll be in and out. But it was an interesting wrinkle in terms of making it through. So, you know, you're, I think that you just kind of talked a little bit about, you just decided to make it through. Can you talk a little bit about how that mindset is so important to getting through something like this? And how do you get yourself to the right state of mind to pull through? I fall back on gratitude. You know, the things that I am grateful for. I am grateful that this, you know, that my cancer was caught early and that I am a cancer survivor now, that I am cured. I have no trace of cancer left and hopefully it won't, no, I won't have another one. So that is not everyone's outcome. Um, it is absolutely the best outcome that could have been. And so my phone's ringing and now it's gone. So um, so in, in that case, Mandy, I don't know. I just, I try to really dwell on the good, even though it's hard sometimes. Um, Remember that it's it's like I was doing these hard things, but it was to save my life. And this is a beautiful life I have, and it's so worth living. And to get through something hard, to get out on the other side, just reminds me that why it is so beautiful and what the and there are so many good things. So I am, I'm super grateful that I get to keep doing it. I I really oh, appreciate good. you saying you're 
you're thankful, Karen, because I hear so many people in our in our world say that they're blessed. And, and I think everybody's blessed, but to hear the people say that they're actually thankful for what's what they've been through and, and the blessings that they've gotten that they're thankful for, I appreciate that. So that's just a commentary on my side. That that makes me feel much more uh, in touch with you and, and, and what you're going through. So thank you. Gratitude is is really one of the cornerstones of the way I'm I'm choosing to live. And when things when things get hard for me and I forget that, I actually pull out my notebook and I have a gratitude list and I write down those things that I'm grateful for. Because if I can't if I can't get out of my head enough and I get it on paper, then that gets me on the right direction. And it's not some days it's not a no brainer. Some days it's harder than others, but it's a it's it's like I said, it's a conscious choice. We all get to I get to choose how I live every day. And and I'm not saying I do it perfectly every day, but I certainly do try to look on that that side of what I what I have that is so good and there's so many things that fall into that category even after cancer I mean you know I'm so glad that they caught it early and I'm so glad that I'm here to talk to you guys you know and it's it's a hard bookend for me to have a brother with stage four who's terminal I mean my brother is not going to survive this his cancer and so that makes it even more deeply makes me more deeply thankful for the path that I'm on while at the same time just trying to live and, and enjoy him for as long as I have him. Sorry, I didn't mean to make that a conversation stopper. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. Well, one, one thing I was kind of thinking about was uh, black women and breast cancer and the mortality rate for black women in breast cancer is like at 40%. I know we posted that on our SharePoint site. Um, that's that's pretty high. Uh, and I, I think our community needs to hear stories like yours so, so that they can be encouraged to get a mammogram, to go get checkups and to do what's necessary. You know, I, I really hope that that when you guys asked me to come here and tell my story, one of my biggest hope is that people will listen to listen to my story and realize how important early detection, not just mammograms, but self, you know, doing your own self checks, you know, in the shower as often as you can think of it. Um, we as a women, we know our bodies better than anybody and we need to be, be monitoring that and stepping up and taking care of ourselves. So if we find a lump or we find something funny, we need to ask. And then we need to go and, and advocate for our own health care and say, no, I need this to be checked. I had great I had great medical teams, and I, but I still had times where I had to advocate for myself, say, you know, no, this is what I need now, not this. And nobody knows our, our bodies and what we're going through as well as we do. And to be able to tune into what that is and articulate it is, is just so important for any journey, but absolutely with cancer. Mm -hmm. And Karen, I just I just applaud you because your courage and strength and attitude through this all I, I I know from interacting with you through this journey and how positive you have been and how you were persevering and you had such a positive mindset that you were inspiring the rest of the team because we were looking at you saying look at all that she's going through and she can still find time to encourage other individuals in the work that we were doing and being positive and even with the hair uh, as far as your decision as to when you wanted to you know uh, shave your head I mean I think you should tell that story because I mean it got us all I mean we did some crazy things behind supporting you in this so I think <laughs> I mean you're such an awesome blessing 
thank you, Sharon. And it is it is a crazy story. So, um, you know, early on in chemo, I knew I was going to lose my hair, and I used to have really long hair. I've had long hair since since a past uh, since after high school, and. Um, after my second chemo, I uh, I knew it was, was going to start falling down patches. I just couldn't. I I didn't want to do that. So I had a, my hairdresser. It was during the pandemic, so she was nice enough to come over to my house, and she just she just shaved the whole thing off for me in my living room. And then I had a call about a half hour later, and um, everybody, my entire the entire team came on, and they all had bald caps on to support me. <laughs> And it was so funny and pointed and supportive so and loving and it was just awesome. That's the kind of team that I work with. So Sharon, thank you for being part of an amazing team that supported me so well. My pleasure, my pleasure. And I, I think about um, you and I, I think about, you know, I share with you that my aunt, um, she went through the surgery, and but in our household and in our family, it was just something we did not talk about. We okay. could see her face, we could see the expression, we can see how physically how she changed, but we were not comfortable talking about it. And I do regret that because I know she probably needed somebody to talk to, and 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 so and and so I, I have regrets about that. And then uh, a close friend of mine that I talked with uh, two, I think maybe about two weeks ago, she just had the surgery uh, and she and I have been very, very close. And I have regrets for not being there for her because she didn't say anything. She didn't say anything about what she was going through. And then when I, when she started telling me about it and I'm hearing her, her journey and I really got sad because it is so difficult and it is different for everyone. And how the attitude and how you approach it and your support system is a big deal on this journey. It is. Sharon, so did both your relatives pass? Did your aunt in, in My aunt is has passed, yes. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. My but my my, uh, um, she did have cancer. Uh, her cancer did come back uh, even after the surgery. And so that was one of the contributing factors to her death. Uh, however, my, my close friend, she's, she's, she's still here. She's still alive, but uh, I, it, it's this just, she just had the surgery this past February and it is an emotional journey. I can still hear it in her voice. And so I want to be able to reach out and comfort her and give her some encouragement. And so, but it's difficult for me because I know how uh, private she is. I don't want to invade her privacy. And when, when you want to respect that. And so that's always a challenge for me is how do you engage with someone when you want to respect their privacy? No, that's a really good point, Sharon, because not everyone wants to talk about it or feels comfortable talking about it. And I know like some women wear a wig because they don't want to look like they're sick or I've heard from some, you know, um, cancer support people say that to, to me that I don't want to look sick, so I'm going to wear a wig. And for me, I wanted my whole life changed when I got cancer. I mean, truly. And I wanted my outsides and my insides to match. I didn't want to look okay on the outside where I was struggling and just crying on the inside and yelling and screaming that I was upset about cancer. So when I shaved my head, it was it was very symbolic for me that yes, I am okay 
and I am different. I am not the same person. I am going through something. And if you want to know about it, ask me because look, I have no hair. <laughs> it's, it's a really good lead into what's happening, Karen. And, uh, and for me, that worked really well because the outpouring of support I received in return was one of the things that got me through this. And it's getting me through it. I'm not through it yet. Great, thank you. Remark, go ahead. I think you have a question. I do. I have multiple questions. Uh, Sharon <laughs> just asked one of them. So thank you for asking that, Sharon. And going back to what you talked about, Karen, about advocating for yourself with the medical professionals. And Jerrica and Alyssa and Sharon, you guys can jump in at any point. There's a lot of stories about black women going to hospitals or going to doctors and not being heard when they're saying they're in pain. So as you went through that process of, you know, you know your body, you know how it's feeling, you know everything that's going on. The doctors are telling you one thing, but you're like, that's not what is going on in my body. I need you guys to check this. How did you advocate for yourself and how did you get them to like listen to you and be like, okay, she's really telling us that something is not doesn't feel right. We need to check this. How did you go through that? I think one of the biggest, one of the biggest advocation that I had to do, to advocate for was during my chemo. And the first chemo, they throw everything at me. That's what they say. They just throw the kitchen sink and they see what sticks. And it was, uh, it was not tolerable. They have this great term for doing chemo. They say, we want to see how much you can tolerate and then we'll dial it back from there. And <clears throat> my first chemo was not tolerable. I was, it was miserable. And so when I came back the next week and we talked about the symptoms, I had to really very clearly describe to them everything that I was feeling and what went on with me for the three days after I had chemo. And with it, I, I almost felt like I was exaggerating anymore because I was so, so explicit in every detail about how bad I felt, but then it wasn't an exaggeration, but we're not used to, I'm used to, I'm used to telling people I'm fine. It was okay. And I got through it. So I had to really reel that instinct back and be genuine about the pain that I was in and why it was there. So the next chemo, they were able to change the mix and dial some things back that most people are fine with. They're like, well, I don't think it's that, that, that was probably fine. And I'm like, I think, you know, it maybe it was that, can we try this? Can we try something different? And so to not accept the, well, let's just give it another shot or well, it'll probably be okay to just keep probing. And so not, I wasn't rude to anybody, but I just kept asking, are we sure that's the right thing? Are we sure we can't do anything else? And so the chemo improved the next week because they did dial a few things back. But then I went back the next week and I said, okay, can we do more? Can we do more dialing back when we still have the, the, the treatment work? Can we get less? It was for me, it was the steroid. I'm like, can you do less of that? And so by the time I got through chemo, I remember one of the nurses when she was hanging the bag, she was telling me what was in it because I always like to hear that. And that was part of my advocation too, is to know what they're hanging on that bag. What are the drugs that are you guys using? What are we doing this week? And so to be involved, to be informed and, and to know. And she was shocked. She goes, well, this can't be right. There's hardly any in here. And I'm like, no, that's right. I advocated for that. I worked hard for them to get there. And so just to be, I think part of it is just being super aware of what's happening around you and then just making sure they're following all these instructions and listening to where the pain is and and just that question is that all we can do can we do any more you know so that I, that's that's what worked for me okay so i was just gonna i was just gonna ask um what message would you give out to women 
now that she's been through this, what what signs are we looking for? Obviously, you had family members that had cancer, but if we don't, you know, if you don't have that history, knowing your family carries that gene, what message would you give to women? It, it goes back to the early detection, self-diagnosis, self-check. I mean, it's just, you know, young women, I think women are getting cancer more. I think people are getting, seem to be getting cancer more and more. Yeah. I think everybody I talk to knows someone who's gone through cancer almost directly now. And it's just to be, to keep, to keep doing your self-checks. If you, if you're ready for a schedule for a mammogram to do it, to do it on time, to do it regularly and just, and just be aware if anything feels wrong or feels off, check it. Don't just wait and see or think everything's okay. It might not be, especially if it's your breast, go have it checked. Andy? You know, I, I, to that point, I think that, um, you know, I started early because my mom's a breast cancer survivor. My dad's a prostate cancer survivor. So I started early. So I think knowing your genetic past and asking those family questions is super important. I agree. Um, and, and to not just be told to go at this particular age because that's when they tell you to go, but to know that I need to go earlier or I need to go more often um, because it's not one size fits all. Um, you know, Karen, if this has been such a journey for you, and like you said, your journey's not over, but I'm curious, what are some changes um, that you will make going forward in your daily life to um, stay in remission and to stay healthy? And what are some of those things going forward that have changed for you that we might even think about before it happens or if it's, you know, that we might use to help keep us healthy? Uh, to try to avoid a diagnosis like you've had. Like, I, what are some changes you're going to make going forward? Well, it's an interesting question because it, because before I got cancer, I was actually eating better and doing and and being very healthy because I knew that the family had a propensity. I was doing everything I could nutritionally and exercising pretty regularly and doing. And then I ended up getting cancer anyway. So it's a catch twenty two for me. Is that I know it's great to be healthy. So there's there's no there's no magic bullet, right, Mandy? But the healthier we stay, the better chance we have of getting through. If something like this does happen getting through it more gracefully and physically being more okay out the other end. So I'm looking forward to being able to do the things I did before, like exercise regularly again, getting my energy back up again. And, and then I guess the thing that I would, that is a little bit different is just a little less taking for granted every day when I get up and feel okay, you know? And so, because if, if, we're not, if I'm not careful, I get up in the morning and I expect that I'm gonna feel okay. But after going through something like this, in the morning when I wake up and that there's there's no pain, there's no after effects, there's no chemo effects, there's no surgery effects, that's a great day, you know? And to be able to keep that and carry that gratitude way past this experience and hopefully forever. Do you think that, that, that um, I know that they say stress has a lot to do with it and are there different things that you do um, to help work like balance, if you will? Um, moving forward. I know keeping working was a really great distraction for you during chemo and treatments and so forth, but going forward, um, are you at, at any more focused on work-life balance than you were before? Actually, that's a good question, and I am, because I, like a lot of us, I, I can get carried away working from home at night, and like all of a sudden you look up and it's like at nighttime and you're still working. And so, so just being very cognizant of trying to keep that stress down 
And I uh, and then I also do meditation is something I've been working on for many years. And so a good friend of mine calls it sitting, which is way less intimidating than meditating. So I work on sitting still for at least five minutes in the morning. I'm not that good at it right now, but I'm continuing the practice. And I want I want to get better at that to to just center and keep that stress out, you know, and do as much as I can. I don't sit still that much. I'm kind of a high energy person. And so to be able to have that just sense of peace and, and relaxation, even for five minutes of the day, that's something that I work on that I think is definitely, I think for anybody that helps everything, cancer included, so. Bradbury. This is my last question, I swear. <laughs> um, what advice, do you have for anyone that's been not personally affected by cancer in, in, in the sense that they didn't go through cancer, but may have had a family member, a close friend that they've lost from cancer? And, you know, when it comes around to the anniversary of losing them, it brings up, you know, sad feelings, terrible feelings, whatever. Do you have any advice for people that, you know, struggle with that on a yearly basis? You know, I really hesitate about giving advice, but I, I like I, I, I will share my experience. And um, in my experience is that when I'm when I have that kind of loss, um, you know, say it's not my cancer, but other types of loss, um, just to to be to be able to reach out and to get help. Honestly, I mean that we don't have to do anything by ourselves. And when I'm feeling isolated and I'm feeling like I am alone in my grief or my sorrow. Uh, all I need to do is pick up the phone or talk to somebody or meet someone for lunch. And for me, that really helps helps that sense of isolation and, and longing and grief that helps mitigate it. It doesn't make it go away. For me, grief is something that gets lessons with time. Um, I lost my father about nine years ago. We were super, super close and it was very unexpected. And that grief has not gone away, but it's gotten less sharp over the years. And that's because I've had support and love and I've been able to talk about it with other people and then also read some books. I have some good books on how to, you know, on grief and loss, and that has helped me process as well. I've got one. Um, is there anything or some sort of adventure or something that you want to do sooner rather than later that you may have put off before? Yes. Okay. So that's a great question. I was supposed to go to Ireland when, uh, when COVID hit and then I had to put that trip off. And so now, uh, which we still can't travel to, to, to Europe very well. And so now that I'm getting over this, I want to go to do the Ireland trip that I had to put off for COVID and cancer. So that is absolutely on my bucket list. And in between, my husband and I love to travel. And now that I'm feeling better, uh, we're going to go up to Alaska in February and try to see the Northern Lights. And then we have a trip to go see the, the leaves turning in Vermont next year. And then the year after that, Ireland, here we come. So that's my goal. <laughs> nice. So I lied. I have one more question. <laughs> uh, <laughs> You just talked about, you know, when you're having those feelings, community helps you. Yeah. So with COVID, a lot of community got lost because people were so isolated. Uh, do you think that um, now that people were forced to isolate with COVID, that there's a more, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like people are now more focused on 
being present, being in community with each other because of, you know, maybe losing someone with COVID, losing someone with cancer, whatever, just realizing how important community is now? I hope so. I think this right here is a community. I mean, for me, even though we can't be in person anymore, the ways, the different types of the ways we find and form community, they have changed, but they're still there. And so I, I, I would only hope that this, these, these times that we've been through will help us reform these communities and whether it's on the phone or on, this, on, on video or in a park or however we need to do it, that we still stay connected because for me, that connection is what helps revitalize me and helps get me through the hard times. Well, Karen, thank you for sharing so much of your personal life with us. And I know that it was basically your mission to be that messenger to yeah. to give other people uh, a, a light of hope and, and to be thankful for where they are and and to encourage others that are that are uh, struggling through exactly what you're going through um I, again i i thank you for your advice which you don't like to give but you gave good advice <laughs> as far as all women need to really be on their their checkup game right yep. And especially, we're we're the triple ALC, so we're we're advocates for the African American women, Black so, women in our community, yep. and we really need to encourage our sisters to really check, make sure you check yourselves, um, have your husbands, your boyfriends, your girlfriends, whoever, check check you as well. I heard that that's another really good way to have that process done is to make sure that everybody is aware of what's going on with, with, with your body. And that way, you can catch stuff early. And so thank you for everything you, you've mentioned today, Karen, and, and being so open with us. And I, I, I really hope your message comes out loud and clear. Um, I'd like to, to give um, Cheyenne an opportunity to tell us what's going on in the Northwest Division as far as uh, any, any events that you guys are putting on or Anything that's that's happening out there around breast cancer? Um, I actually brought up to our council for the wearing the pink thing too as well and posting it on Her Better Day Facebook. So I actually gonna connect with you, Mandy, with some more of that details of how I can also bring that into the Portland division, how we can get that going too as well. Um that's Pretty much what we're doing for right now. I know we have another meeting coming up, so we have might have more coming and be able to put on the SharePoint too as well. Awesome. Um, anything in the Mid-Atlantic? And you guys have anything coming up? Wow, we're put on the spot. No, we were gonna piggyback off the other divisions. I don't think we um, had the resources this time to do something, and we saw what Wynn was doing, and we're really interested in that. Awesome. Thank you. Sorry, Alyssa, I wasn't trying to put you guys on the spot for real. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> and Alyssa, you can always join too. The Shaw Star team is the one that came up with the uh, Susan G. Komen virtual walk. So um, maybe you can join their team or, and of course, please join us for all of our events as well. Will do. Remar, would you like to close this out? I would. <laughs> this has been an amazing episode. I just want to thank our guests, Mandy Day from Wynn and Karen Brophy, who shared her phenomenal story. And uh, she didn't share any advice, but she shared her experiences. 
So <laughs> um, I just want to say uh, to all the women out there and men, go get yourself checked as soon as possible because early detection is the best way to fight cancer. And um, yeah, this has been another phenomenal episode of the Triple ALC podcast. You can reach us at our SharePoint and we will see you on the next episode. Peace. Thank you. <laughs>